It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. 1-866-408-7669. You can watch us on Fox Nation if you're not already. And hear, hear us uh, around the country and around the world. we got people writing us uh, from other other nations. We appreciate that. This hour, we're going to be joined by Mark Thiessen, deep thinker, Washington Post columnist, as well as former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush. And, and he just did an interview with the president a couple of weeks ago. And Admiral James Starvitas, one of the most decorated uh, looked up to, admired people in, in in the military, now out. The 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, Sailing True North, his book. He'll be with us shortly. So we got a lot to discuss today, including, I mean, there's not a minute that goes by where I'm not surprised. Uh, sometimes chagrined, sometimes it's a positive, sometimes it's a negative, and some things don't, uh, don't change. Uh, sadly, like the unrest in major cities run by liberal Democrats. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.S. has become the first country to reach 4 million coronavirus cases. It took the U.S. 97 days to reach the first million cases, according to Johns Hopkins University. The next two million took less than half that time, even less to get to the 3 million mark, and just 15 days to jump to 4 million. Well, and it's still going. And the good news is uh, the mortality rate is going down, but the number of cases is going up. And it's going through uh, the Midwest. And we're going to talk about what Dr. Burks is discussing uh, to look at. We're giving a heads up to certain states and cities. The coronavirus is still rolling through. The president hands over a blueprint for reopening schools. I love it. And Republicans scramble to agree on a fifth aid package for the millions affected. Number two. Clearly, it was supposed to be done in secret, kind of like... Former Mayor Daley did put Mixed Field in the middle of the night, destroying that. Um, pretty sad that he has to resort to those tactics. Uh, that is John Katsuara, and he is president of Chicago Fraternal Order of Police. The unrest continues in Portland and Seattle, cues up a major problem this weekend. The administration is not standing by. They are in action as America's second worst mayor, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, caves to rioters. That's what we're referring to in the soundbite and takes down Columbus's statue. What do you say to the 50-plus cops that took a pounding and were wounded, many of which had to go to the hospital to protect that statue over the weekend? Number one. This afternoon, my political team came to me and laid out our plans for the convention in Jacksonville, Florida. But I looked at my team and I said, the timing for this event is not right. It's just not right with what's happened Here we go. Uh, President Trump stunning everybody, including me. I was just about to book my flights and saying goodbye to the convention. Presidential politics, new numbers in for the president and Republicans, and they're not good. This is the convention is canceled. What the president has going for him, a newfound discipline. Time to turn it around as Biden Biden gets another rebuke from an African-American leader. Hi, everybody. Officially, we can begin now. So. 
President Trump had his presser yesterday at 5 o'clock, much to the chagrin of the five. Uh, but he's crisp. He's right to the point. He gives people an update. He shows he cares. That's the discipline that I've been looking for to come back. Shows he cares about seniors. That's the discipline I've been looking for to show he wants to win. And putting people into place to push back. And show he cares about the inner cities, many of which will never vote for him, run by leaders that don't support him. But saying, I don't think it's okay that children are being killed, that businesses are being forced to shut down, that Antifa and their offshoots are playing a role. This has nothing to do with racial justice in most cases, especially in Portland. And because of the virus that's going on, the economic strife that it's caused, the civil unrest that we're in the middle of, and the election season, which is coming, which is more than upon us, we're in the backstretch. The president did surprise me when he said this. This afternoon, my political team came to me and laid out our plans for the convention in Jacksonville, Florida. It's a place I love. I love that state. But I looked at my team and I said, The timing for this event is not right, just not right with what's happened recently, the flare up in Florida. To have a big convention, it's not the right time. It's uh, really something that for me, I have to protect the American people. That's what I've always done. That's what I always will do. That's what I'm about. You never would have said, I mean, he was having rallies in Tulsa a month ago and he realized not only can he do rallies, but people don't want to come, not because they don't like him. Uh, they're going to vote for him and obviously you go to a rally, you vote for him. You usually don't go there with your mind with the, the ball still in the air. But they don't feel secure going out with the virus. And we thought we were in the backstretch. And then it starts spreading through the Southwest. And as Governor DeSantis told me on TV, he says, I'm pretty sure a lot of this is seasonal. Yeah, it's behavioral to a degree, but a lot of it's seasonal. And it's just the season of the virus in the South. He's not saying it's weather-related. It's blowing through. And next up is going to be the Midwest. And Dr. Burks was saying that. I'll get to that shortly. But as we continue with politics, this is what we can expect from the convention speech. He will have one. Cut three. And I'll still do a convention speech in a different form. But we won't do a big, crowded convention per se. It's just not the right time for that. I care deeply about the people of Florida and everywhere else, frankly, in this country and even in the world who would be coming into the state, and I don't want to do anything to upset it. Wow. All right. And it surprised everyone. Congressman Michael Waltz, I don't think, got a heads up. He had a huge role in bringing it there. The mayor probably got, I would imagine, some heads up. We don't have the details of what happened behind the scenes, but it's tough. I mean, networks were traveling there. They had made amends. All the delegates uh, will go now to Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's where things will happen. For the president, he needs major events to take place and the events that he can control with a convention speech and he can control his rallies. He can't do either. How's he do it? Well, number one, the first thing I do is get a message with the campaign. Take on China. Got it. Civil unrest. Not okay. Taking action. Got it. Let's see if it's effective. I'll see. But if you don't care about the virus first, at the same time, opening up schools to create a degree of normalcy, you're not going to win. And he, he gets that message. He shows me he absolutely wants to win. But the polls come in from Fox News, and they're, they're usually not that kind to the president, this time no exception. A little bit worse than they were in April. Battleground states, three to go over. Pennsylvania, 50-39, Biden. Uh, Biden leads among 
Those under 35, not a surprise, but by 29 points, a bit of a surprise. Among suburban voters, by 26 points. That's stunning. And among women, by 17 points. Trump leads with rural voters by 17 and whites without college degrees by 10. The two are tied with white voters in general with 45 percent. Uh, what are the keys going to be seniors? In Michigan, uh, you have Biden beating Trump 48 to 40, 49 to 40, a slight improvement from April when he led 49-41. This includes an 18-point lead among women, 61-point lead with non-whites, 19-point lead among independents, 17-point lead among voters, uh, 65 and older. That's what the president can close. That's the gap he can close. And those Trump leads with whites without a college degree, by 10 points. Minnesota, the president really thinks he can get it this time. So far, no sign of that. 51-38. Are there silent Trump voters? Yes. Does he have to close the gap with women? Yes. In Minnesota, there's a 26-point advantage for Biden. Now, let's say they are tilted more towards Biden. It's still way too high to totally dismiss. Senate, scary for Republicans. Cook Report. Joni Ernst. And David uh, and David Perdue matchups against Democratic challengers from lean Republicans now are toss up. I think both will win. That's my view. Senator Martha McSally in a real tough race against astronaut Mark Kelly changed from toss up to lean Democrat. That could still be one. President's got to win that state. Governor Ducey's got to turn around the virus. I believe he has. So what else is going on? What about the guy he's running against? You notice I haven't met, mentioned him because he doesn't do anything. He had a scripted thing with his buddy, Barack Obama. Now, Barack Obama lets everyone know through, in my mind, through this interview, that he's going to play a role in a Biden presidency, which I'm not sure doesn't galvanize Republicans. Here's a little of the Joe Biden, Barack Obama, we're good friends. Cut four. All the things that it did, that it was so profound an impact on people, it was like it took them a while until they started to take it away to realize what was happening. I couldn't be prouder of what we got done. 20 million people have health insurance that didn't have it because of what we did. But Mr. President, uh, Mr. Former President, you know it's not popular because the deductibles are too high and doctors wouldn't take it. You can't keep your doctor. They were walking away from it. The problem is, and they're right on this, there was no replacement. The skinny deal was not good. Uh, it probably would have been bolstered up by uh, Paul Ryan. Things would have changed had John McCain not put thumbs down. So they talked about, I don't want to take too much time away from my next guest, but Joe Biden went on his, on his own. Yesterday he decided to call the president a racist, cut nine. His, his spreading of racism, the way he deals with with, yes. with people based on the color of their skin, their national origin, where they're from, is absolutely sickening. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racist, and they've existed, and they've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. Now, when Charlemagne the God, and you probably don't listen to the morning show, maybe you do, but uh, he's a guy that came out of nowhere to have a lot of success who does not mind calling Joe Biden out. Cut 10. I wish Joe Biden would shut the F up forever and continue to act like he's starring in the movie A Quiet Place because as soon as he opens his mouth and makes noise, he gets us all killed. It's already so many people who are reluctantly only voting for Joe Biden because he's the only option and because Donald J. Trump is that trash. Old white male leadership has failed America. And there is nothing worse than an old white male who can't recognize the faults and flaws of other old white males. 
We live in a country where everyone now is trying to act so woke. They're acting like they see us. And it's very hard for me to believe they are sincere. I'm not sure exactly where he's going with that, but just know that blacks are not enthusiastic about voting for Joe Biden. And the president can do well in letting people know he is a viable option. And part of the reason why they're calling out the president as a racist from day one is they're scared about the African-American vote that is rising, that was rising before the pandemic. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Admiral James Charavitas. If you have not known, there's another superpower out there, and it's China. And we're taking them on every which way to China, and there's a reason behind it. Are we doing it right? Admiral James Charavitas, next. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, everyone knows the rules uh, for diplomats. Uh, you're only permitted to be there in a diplomatic status with the consent of the host nation. And so uh, I'm confident uh, we've had private conversations as well. I'm very confident that uh, we'll proceed in a way that makes clear uh, that it's not okay. 
to use your diplomats to engage in industrial espionage. It's not okay uh, to steal intellectual property. It's not okay to engage in those kind of behaviors. That's the reason we did it. We did it to protect the American people, and we're going to make sure that that happens. Uh, they have not left their, are their Houston consulate. I'm talking about China. They had 72 hours. It's gone past that. I talked to General Jack Keane this morning. He says he doesn't see it being a problem. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is taking note. But what does Admiral James Chavides think? He, you can always see, uh, find out what he thinks by going to AdmiralStab.com or pick up his book, Sailing True North. But right now he joins us as, uh, from his undisclosed location. Admiral James Chavides, welcome back to the show. <laughs> I'm going to disclose my location because it's in the news. I'm in the beaches of Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, I think the president made a, a good call, a safe call for this city, and I applaud that. Um, here's what I think about Houston, Texas. Uh, we need to get that thing shut down. We need to get the Chinese espionage ring, which is quite extensive here in the country, has deep taps into the academic community here, Brian, as you know through Chinese students. We need to get it cleared out. I think it was a appropriate move to get it closed. We had to put pressure on China to fulfill their obligation to empty it out. And by the way, China has called on us, uh, ordered us out of Chengdu, which is an important consulate for us. That's okay. I think that's a price well worth paying from a U.S. perspective. Why do we leave it so long? Like, why was it okay? The yeah. average American not not privy to the intelligence you have, and the Secretary of State has say, really, it was okay up until now. I think uh, going way back, we have. I don't want to say turned a blind eye to this, but uh, point one is that we have been willing to kind of take the masses of good Chinese students, and there are hundreds of thousands of Chinese students who come here. The majority, the vast majority, are here legitimately to learn, um, and we hope that their engagement with U.S. society will then send them back to China with a view of what democracy looks like, and that would be helpful. So there's been that kind of tension. But the second thing that's happened, why now, is because in the run-up to this election, we're seeing uh, Chinese, not only espionage, but interference in our social networks, attempts to go after uh, public opinion, very similar to what Russia did in 2016. We can't tolerate that. This is the, the tipping point moment. We made the right move. And I know for a lot of military, I don't mean to generalize, but I will. And you could just tell me you, you're in the outlier. I've been waiting for this moment because, uh, as was pointed out by Michael Waltz yesterday on this show, they have a Mars probe that looks exactly like ours. They have a stealth fighter that looks exactly like ours. Their drones look exactly like ours. Some of their ships look like ours. They're stealing our stuff. They don't innovate anything. And let's add to the bonfire by saying they're trying to steal our vaccine research on top of everything you just mentioned. Um, yes, it's definitely a tipping point moment. And I think it bespeaks a rising set of tensions. It's going to be exacerbated in the election year here. China is also trying to take advantage of the COVID virus by uh, putting pressure on Hong Kong, putting pressure on Taiwan. Um, this is gonna get worse before it gets better. Final thought here, Brian, we've got to uh, put pressure on China. We've got to bend that relationship. Secretary Pompeo gave a speech at the Reagan Library uh, just yesterday on this subject, and I would encourage people to read it. Um, we got to bend that relationship, but we don't want to break it and end up in a war with China. So it's going to require real diplomacy as what, we see what, along What here. move would break it? 
um, an inadvertent, inadvertent collision at sea, for example, between uh, our ships in the South China Sea, where our ships are sailing in order to demonstrate that this is not a territorial sea of China. Uh, China uh, having a fighter jet come too close to one of our strategic bombers. We have uh, our B-1 strategic bombers flying over the South China Sea. I think those are the right moves. We've got to show China that they don't own the South China Sea. But you could have an inadvertent set of circumstances, a collision in the air, a collision at sea. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Somebody lights up another ship or an aircraft with a fire control radar. We had an incident like that, you may recall, almost 20 years ago with a P-3 maritime patrol aircraft, which the Chinese damaged in one of these things, forced to the ground, Tensions really spiked. We want to avoid an inadvertent march toward a conflict. Admiral, uh, what are things like in Jacksonville? Why do you think the president made the right move? Um, We are uh, spiking with COVID cases here. I would say Jacksonville is one of the top uh, 10 cities, hard to use that word about my hometown, in terms of uh, high numbers of people, both with the virus, in our hospitals, Uh, along with South Florida, around Miami, also South Texas, and Southern California. These are the current hotspots. And to pack people into a highly uh, energized, smallish campaign venue uh, would be a mistake right now. Even though you would have had a great time if it was a different time, uh, because with all the people coming to town. Admiral James Chavitas, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. Have a good weekend. uh, You too. Uh, Coming up next, Mark Thiessen. We're going to bring us inside this campaign and so much more. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This afternoon, my political team came to me and laid out our plans for the convention in Jacksonville, Florida. It's a place I love. I love that state. But I looked at my team and I said, the timing for this event is not right. It's just not right with what's happened recently, the flare up in Florida. To have a big convention, it's not the right time. It's uh, really something that, for me, I have to protect the American people. That's what I've always done. That's what I always will do. That's what I'm about. And that's the president. Much different from the attitude, I'm going to Tulsa and I'm going to pack the place and see what happens, wear masks if you want. He's definitely changed. And people say, well, how sincere is it? It, it It's called an ongoing pandemic. 
Over 100 years it's been since we had it. We didn't really have cable then, uh, let alone Fox Nation. So the presidents pick it up and say, listen, we're going to wear masks. I'm wearing masks. Uh, when it comes to big events, you got to be smart about it. And when he, for him to be smart about it, he had to cancel something that's necessary for him to win re-election. He's got to find another way. Mark Thiessen joins us, former presidential speechwriter, columnist for The Washington Post, Fox News contributor, and a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Mark, did he make the right move? Of course he did, yes. Uh, and I think uh, you combine that with the new tone he's taking at his press briefings, which is very presidential, laying out the facts, reporting to the American people on the progress we're making, uh, not taking the bait from reporters and getting into unnecessary fights. I mean, if he had done that from the very beginning when he started these briefings, uh, then he uh, he would be in a very different place in the polls today, I think. Uh, so I think this new approach that he's taking uh, is exactly the right uh, approach because when Americans are in 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 a crisis, whether it's a racial cri- racial unrest crisis or an, or a pandemic crisis or an economic crisis, they want their presidents to be presidential, and uh, he's he's finally doing that. I guess so. Um, here's what Bernie Sanders said about his opponent. Cut eight. I was uh, very delighted that the vice president uh, agreed to work with our campaign in putting together six separate task forces dealing with the major issues of our country. And I think we hammered out some agreements which will make, uh, in my view, uh, Joe Biden a very progressive president if he, in fact, implements uh, what has been uh, written. Does that leave a clue on how Joe Biden should be attacked? Yeah, I mean, so here's here's the thing about Biden, is that Biden is, unlike Hillary Clinton, he's not unlikable. He's a nice guy. Uh, he, he is not uh, widely uh, d- uh, hated. He's not part of the Clinton, corrupt Clinton dynasty. So you don't have all those d- downsides. He's an amiable guy who's, who's you know, really sort of a, past his expiration date. Um, and he's a moderate. Uh, I worked with him on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, when Jesse Helms was the chairman, and he reached across the aisle and got things done with Jesse Helms. He was able to work with Republicans to get things done. So that's Joe Biden. The problem is Joe Biden isn't going to be in charge. He's 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 a as Trump has called him. He's a Trojan horse for socialism. He's he's going to be the auto. Bernie Sanders just backed that up. Yeah, no, exactly. So it 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 the, the, what Trump needs to do is expose the fact that this Biden you're voting for, he's just the Trojan horse. Inside is an army of AOCs and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warrens uh, who want to do make war on what we what on the America we love. Um, and uh, and the reality is, is that Biden, he's already said, I'm a transitional figure to the next generation. Well, transition to who? Transition to Bernie, transition to Elizabeth Warren, transition to AOC. And so, you know, what and the worst and he really raised the stakes and nobody has paid attention to this, Brian. A week ago, he raised the stakes in the election. If you remember during the Democratic primary debates, Elizabeth Warren was saying we got to get rid of the filibuster. And and Biden, who's a senator and who has respect for the institutions, the Senate said that's a terrible idea. We got to protect the rights of the minority. Well, just a week ago, he said, well, it depends on whether how obstreperous the Republicans are being. What does that mean? That's the whole point of it—a minority to be uh, to be obstreperous like that. So he's going to get rid of the filibuster. And so what's going to happen is if Joe Biden gets elected, the, it, the, you're going to have a Senate. If he wins, they're going to have the majority in the Senate—not 60 vote majority, not a filibuster-proof majority, but about you know somewhere in the in the mid low 50s. They are going to ram through their agenda over the objections of Americans and not in a bipartisan way. They're going to 
do also they're going to use the covid pandemic as an excuse to implement all sorts of socialist policies that would have never had a, a chance of getting passed before the pandemic. And they're going to do more damage in four years. And Joe Biden's going to be the auto pen president who just signs whatever the heck uh, Pelosi and Schumer and AOC and Warren sent up to him. And so it doesn't matter that Joe Biden's a nice guy or that he's a moderate guy, likes working with Republicans. Democrats have shown they're not interested in working with Republicans. They have an agenda, a radical agenda, and he's going to be the guy who auto pens it. So what do you do in politics when you're opponent will not come out and fight and being that we're in this odd time where you can't really campaign he's not true you know it's not like he's turning down events he could always say listen the pandemic this is a responsible thing to do so what do you do if you need it to close the gap, it gives him cover no doubt i mean he he's you know the every every time he steps out i mean it's not only just like mangling things there's like two or three examples in the last month of where he's come out and literally not said anything but word salad literally not made a point uh, you know i mean it, but the problem is trump can't mock him for it because two things one that lowers the the uh that lowers the bar for the debate right so right now what, he, what trump should be normally when you're preparing for a debate what what the what you say about your opponent is oh my opponent's a great debater you know he should be saying joe biden's been in politics for 46 years he's done 20 debates before at that he's he's, he's an experienced debater uh instead he's saying joe biden's incompetent he doesn't even know who where he is and so all joe biden has to do is put string together a couple of coherent sentences and not look like he's uh, he's got dementia and he wins the debate <laughs> right so stop lowering the bar don't mock him for his, you know, his cognitive decline. Just let it let people see it and, you know, and, to, and let your surrogates talk about it. And to the extent that they do talk about it, say it in a, in a spirit of sadness. Say, look, no one wants to point these things out because, you know, we've all got loved ones with memory problems. We all have loved ones or people we know who've, who've declined in, the, in their older years. And, we, you know, you don't take no joy in pointing this out. But, you know, look, our loved ones aren't asking for the nuclear codes. Joe Biden is. So we've got to talk about this instead of making these jokes about it. But, you know, the debates are going to be the place where it's going to be make or break, where Biden is not going to be able to hide. Uh, so, you know, the Trump is right to push for more debates and earlier debates. Uh, Biden's not going to agree to that in a million years. He probably, in fact, he got, uh, was it uh, Tom Friedman the other day had a column saying, hey, don't say you won't debate Trump unless he releases his tax records. They're trying to find a pretext for him to get out of the debates. I, I so, hear you. Uh, Here's a little yeah. of what Joe Biden, how he handled this appearance. It's great to see you and all the frontline workers. You know, you risk your lives every time you go to work. And, and how, uh, how you would, uh, the question is how to protect, uh, how to protect you all and uh, make sure you get respect and uh, that you deserve. But uh, it went nowhere. And that was it. And they cut off other questions in the middle of his yeah. Zoom events. And look, it's not going to get covered by if it, if this was Trump making these kinds of gaffes, do you think they wouldn't be covering it? It would be a break. They'd be talking about you know invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Uh, but but the, here they you know the Joe Biden does they're going to cover it because the media's in the bag for him and they want him to be elected and they know it doesn't matter if he's competent. He's got to pick a vice president who's really going to be the president. You know, you remember all the years when they said Cheney was the real president, not Bush. Well, you know they're, they're fine with that as long as the Cheney, the, the Cheney figure is a liberal. Um, so, you know, they, it, they, 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 no doubt this is, uh, but the Americans are going to see this and no one wants a president in cognitive decline. Right. Uh, so, so Mark, a couple of things. Do you believe, I mean, people want to say, well, the polls weren't right last time, but there's such a distance between the two. Do you believe that the president's losing? 
oh, absolutely, he's losing right now. But, I mean, think about this. Four months ago, the Democrats had basically get, all but given up. They, 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 every Democrat you talked to before the pandemic thought that Donald Trump was cruising to re-election. The economy was so good and all the rest of it. Now, four months later, he's losing. There's four months, to, almost four months to go. Anything could happen in four months. I mean, look, think about this. We, if, 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 if the last two jobs reports, you know, we've basically restored about 30 to 40 percent of the jobs that were lost during the pandemic. It's, you know, for 2.7 million in May, six, uh, 4.8 million in June. We're the most economists expect, even with 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 these sort of with a little bit of a return to lockdowns in a few states, we're we're looking at double digit economic growth over the summer, double digit economic growth in, in the fall. If the economy is recovering, if the pandemic is under control in, in the sense that the death rates have not skyrocketed, right? Uh, then you know Trump is going to be riding a wave of good news into November, and then he just has to say to the American people, and especially these swing voters. Do you want to risk this all on the, by by electing, uh, you know, putting Elizabeth Sanders yeah. in the Treasury Department, Elizabeth Warren in the Treasury Department, yes. and Bernie, you know, in charge with, with Biden? Or do you want to? Are you going to vote for in your self interest? Mark, uh, a couple of things. I'm seeing these signs from the president. Number one, he's paying attention to seniors. He's bringing up the fact that uh, yeah. I got sixty billion for seniors for nursing homes. Number two, you're here. Yeah. You are in the twilight years of your life, and you have to deal with this. I feel terrible. Uh, number three, I see him bringing up uh, China. And saying not only the China virus, which it is, but just all all hands on deck. They're the problem. I'm the president to attack the problem. No other president had the had the audacity to do while still saying I tried to do a deal with them. The other thing I think is important shows he cares about the virus. And when it comes to civil unrest, instead of saying, well, these are liberal mayors, he's actually taking action and pointing it out now. The type of action, how it's being portrayed, they're trying to spin it back and say he's an autocrat. Really, the same autocrat that told governors, I'll support your pandemic uh, your pandemic fight, but I don't, I'm not going to take control of it. I'm going to let you make your own decisions. So they're going to try to spin it back. But he is beginning to hold on to a message now, and I haven't seen this since 2016. Am I being optimistic or, or am I portraying this accurately? You're, you're seeing uh, the president doing finally doing what he needs to do to win re-election. The question is, is there enough time? Uh, it had imp- the negative impressions over the last few months hardened to the point that people aren't li- paying attention anymore uh, or are willing to listen to that. Um, the the on seniors, uh, he's absolutely right to be focusing on them because he won seniors in 2016. He's been losing them to Biden in swing states. Why is that? Number one, uh, seniors are the most vulnerable to the virus. And they're the least concerned about bringing back jobs because they're retired, right? So, so they, they, the push to reopen was was really scaring them. And then, two, you know, making fun of somebody's cognitive decline, you know, that seniors don't like that. It's offensive to them because a lot of them are dealing with. And memory he backed problems. off last so, night with Sean. So, he goes, "I don't like exactly, to talk about this." Exactly. Exactly. So he's he's fixing a lot of the problems uh, in his rhetoric and his behavior that he needs to do, and so that's good news for for the country. Um, you know, so so I, I look. I, Anything, it, it, there's a, there's a long, uh, there's four months is forever, uh, as we've seen. I mean, think about the last four months, worst pandemic since 1918, worst economic crisis since the 1930s, uh, worst racial unrest and social unrest since the 1960s. We've got four months to go. A lot can happen uh, going forward. On the social unrest, by the way, with, to your point, you know, 
Democrat, since when are the Democrats the party of states' rights and local control? They, they want a federal mask mandate. They want, a, uh, they want fed, the federal government to bail out states and local governments. They want, as you said, you know, the, the, he, they criticized him when he said the governors are in charge of, uh, of COVID. But all of a sudden, you know, he's, a, he's an autocrat because he wants to uh, crack yeah. down on, on, uh, on rioters, you know, and people trying to burn down courthouses. I mean, it's just utter hypocrisy. And I think Americans see that. Here's Nancy Pelosi, cut 18. The use of stormtroopers under the guise of law and order is a tactic that is not uh, appropriate to our country in any way. What did Hitler call his uh, his his uh, his uh, his security forces? But stormtroopers, probably. Um, but but I mean, Nancy Pelosi is such a such a horrible person. She gets I mean, a pass. This is the same. Part. Of course, she gets a pass because the media is because the media is on on her side. Uh, I mean, this is the same woman who said that Tim Scott was trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd. Tim Scott. You know, Senator, yeah. African American man who's been who's been harassed by the police and who's trying to do police reform. Uh, I mean, she's she's just a reprehensible human being. It just uh, she's in the limelight, and she'll be a virtual president if Joe Biden wins. She'll be setting the agenda. She and Chuck Schumer will set the agenda. They'll write the bills. They'll send them and send send them to Joe Biden, who you know he's just going to be like weekend at Bernie's with an auto pen. So uh, they're going to put a string on his hand, and he's just going to sign whatever they send over to him. Mark, lastly, you you interviewed the president a few weeks ago. What do you think? What do you think now? You know, he's, uh, we talked to, uh, I think he, we, we spent a little, first of all, I mean, the amazing thing, the news that I bro- broke in that story, which everybody in the media ignored, is the fact that he launched a cyber attack on Russia to stop their election interference in 2018. No one has paid any attention to that because the narrative is Donald Trump doesn't care about Russian election interference. He, he took an act of war. He, he shut down the Internet Research Agency with a cyber attack. And nobody pays any attention to it because that doesn't help the, that doesn't help the narrative. Uh, so huge news uh, from that that was completely ignored. Um, you know, we had an interesting conversation about the Confederate memorials. And I told him, I think he's making a mistake with the, with the names of the Confederate bases. Name them after the founding fathers. Change, change Fort Beauregard in Louisiana and call it Fort Lafayette. You know, change it, name it after George Washington, name it after Thomas Jefferson, and then let the left run around screaming, he's naming it after slaveholders, you know, that, and then they're on the wrong side of the issue. Uh, I just think we, we you know, he, he, and I asked him, you know, why, why are you so adamant about defending Confederate memorials? And he said, I'm not. He said, I don't, I don't care about the Confederacy. I have no love for the Confederacy. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a Yankee. I was on the other side. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's the slippery slope. I think he, he worries about the slippery slope, yep. and he worries that he won't be able to control the outcome. But, you know, I think he should just – he's a commander-in-chief. He can name a military base. Just order it. You got it. And it looks like that's going to be part of this bill to change within 10 years, uh, those military bases. Yep. Hey, yep. he is uh, Mark and Mark, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, we uh, answer the phones. Get, uh, we find out what is on your mind, one 408 Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Baseball is back, and Dr. Anthony Fauci kicked off the season with a ceremonial first pitch in Washington, D.C., and in a wacky season, why shouldn't it start with a pitch like this? Here he is. Oh, boy. Well, he tried. Oh, boy. Just a bit outside. <laughs> Socially distant from the strike zone. He is very, very good at epidemiology. Not too good at pitching. But that's okay. The wild pitch, it went it went to the backstop, but that's okay. He, he doesn't have time to practice. He's very busy saving <laughs> us all. Oh, Dr. Fauci, that's the worst. It was just kind of odd to see Dr. Fauci at, uh, at Nats Field. At the same time, there was a update on the coronavirus, and Marianne Rivera was there in the audience uh, with the press. So I think they should switch next time. Uh, Anthony Fauci will be on Fox News shortly. Uh, meanwhile, the Yankees won 4-1 last night in a rain-shortened game. And it's kind of cool. They're going to have eight teams make the playoffs. First phase, eight. They'll, the, the top seed will always get all the games at home, and then they'll do a normal thing. So I think it's excellent. Don, listen on KDWN in Las Vegas. Hey, Don. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Brian, I do believe that Joe Biden will not debate Trump. They will stall it. They've got the ball on their side of the net. But I, virtu- I suggest this. The Trump team needs to make a virtual Trump-Biden debate. He can make it for one hour. He can have an independent uh, panel person who asks a question, both domestic and also foreign. Uh, what we can do is have Trump live and then pull from the archives what O'Biden's reply would be. We've got a treasure trove of that. So therefore, right there, you can make videos, you can buy time. It would be funny, but it wouldn't get him the win. Don, without a convention speech, he needs a hallmark event. It's all going to be about the debates, even though a lot of early voting would have to take place already. But the president, he should bring, build him up. Uh, Biden looked good against Bernie. He looked really good. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. Caught live from New York City and heard around the world, around the country, especially our favorite country. And usually everybody listening to me in the country loves their country. I'm not getting that sense much anymore. Uh, Geraldo Rivera is getting set to join us. Arthur Herman's going to be here. He's going to talk about something, not the sexiest topic, but the most necessary, important topic you could discuss. Bringing manufacturing back to this country. The man is a military historian and also will give a perspective on how we can do just that while in the middle of this virus, while taking on China. And then we'll do a simulcast on Varney and Company. Uh, So we'll get to all that and Geraldo in a minute. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.S. has become the first country to reach 4 million coronavirus cases. It took the U.S. 97 days to reach the first million cases, according to Johns Hopkins University. The next two million took less than half that time, even less to get to the 3 million mark, and just 15 days to jump to 4 million. And there you go. The coronavirus is still rolling through the Southwest as the president hands over a blueprint to reopening schools. And Republicans scramble uh, to agree on a fifth aid package for the millions effective. Are you ready to spend another trillion? Number two. Clearly, it was supposed to be done in secret, kind of like former Mayor Daley did with Mixed Field in the middle of the night, destroying that. 
Um, pretty sad that she has to resort to those tactics. Uh, that's John Katsimatidis, uh, not Katsimatidis, but Katsiara. Uh, he's the president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police at war with that terrible mayor of Chicago. Unrest continues in Portland, by the way, as Seattle queues up for a major problem this weekend. An Antifa-like protest is ready to go. The administration is not standing by. They are in action as American's second-worst mayor, Lightfoot of Chicago, caves to rioters and takes down the Columbus statue. What would you say to the 50-plus cops who spent their weekend in the hospital because they were banged up protecting that statue last weekend? Number one. This afternoon, my political team came to me and laid out our plans for the convention in Jacksonville, Florida. But I looked at my team and I said, the timing for this event is not right. It's just not right with what's happened And he decided to cancel it. Presidential politics. New numbers in for the president and Republicans, and they're not good. This, as the convention is all but canceled this summer, what the president has going for him, a newfound discipline. And time to turn it around as Biden Biden gets another rebuke from an African-American leader. And joining us now, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, welcome back. Hey, Brian, always a pleasure. I think that you are a wonderful, receptive voice, and I admire you a lot. You're a good pal. Thank you. And while while Chris Wallace mocks that term, you embrace it, which shows why I like you so much better. <laughs> I'd love to see Chris Wallace uh, and Joe Biden sit together for an hour in the 100-degree heat. So I wonder hey. how that would turn out for the former vice president. Now, Geraldo, you help me with this bet because yesterday I said the same thing to Chris Wallace. Chris, I go, Chris, would you do it? He goes, I'm asking every day. And I say he is – uh, he is not going to get it. He says he's going to get it. What do you think? I think that they will try to keep the former vice president closeted and cloistered as long as they possibly can. And if they did that uh, that interview, that uh, you know, that kind of comprehensive omnibus interview, I think they would try very hard to find someone a lot easier than Chris. I think they'd maybe go to a Joe Scarborough or. Uh, you know, a Joy Reid, uh, you know, someone who would kiss his butt and say how wonderful he is and ask him softball questions or even ask him hard questions, but ask it in a way that is so pleasant uh, that uh, the former vice president will be uh, won't be put off by the confrontation. But I think eventually, uh, you know, if they don't manage to duck the debates, I think that we'll we'll finally get to see whether or not uh uh, the acuity uh, and sharpness and all the rest of it is really there for the former vice president. Well, you know what the president's got to do is close the gap in these polls and make well, Biden come out. Say, He'll have no it's choice. All about the, polls. the polls are pretty grim, though, and uh, I, I think they're real. Even though I really do think, Brian, more than uh, you know, more than in any uh, comparable situation, that people, when polled about Donald Trump, lie. Uh, They lie because people are embarrassed to say that they support the president because the mainstream media had the drumbeat against him has been so relentless. Uh, I really do think that uh, the polls are skewed by uh, hidden 
Trump vote. I, I vote, yeah. you know, I'm a big voter. And you, when you go at, uh, on boats everywhere, and last weekend we had a big Trump rally, people on boats, uh, Trump flags everywhere. But uh, you never see a Trump sign on a front lawn in Cleveland. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what would happen if you had one. Uh, so, Biden signs are everywhere. Though. So so let me give you some numbers for people who don't know. The Fox poll came out. They're usually not too kind to the president. No exception here. A little worse in Pennsylvania, 50-39. Uh, when it comes to uh, Michigan, uh, he trails uh, 49 to 40. It was 49-41. In Minnesota, where he thought he could win this time, he's down 51-38. The th- scary thing for Republicans is uh, the Cook report uh, has switched a few against Republicans. Joni Ernst was lean Republican. It is now a toss-up against uh, her opponent. And David Perdue is now a toss-up. Martha McSally is now lean Democrat. So those are things that could flip the Senate and flip the presidency. What I think the president's got going for him, and you would know better than anybody, I'm sensing that discipline he had in September of 2016. When I see the fact that he's sympathetic towards seniors when it comes to this pandemic, he talked about you should be in the twilight of your life enjoying these years, and now you have to deal with this. $60 billion for nursing homes and then canceling this because he's concerned about big crowds wearing masks. And I also see uh, being instead of just saying these cities are out of control, he's actually taking action. These are, and not mocking the the intellect of Joe Biden, talking about how he's a he's he's going to be kowtowed to the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders. Do you see it? I do. And uh, you know, I was uh, on uh, with uh, Sean Hannity last night. The president called in, and I appreciate. The new tone. Uh, it's something that people who care for the president, as I do uh, as a person and as a friend, I'm delighted to see it's a, a kind of a maturing uh, process. I, I believe that he, his tone now, his demeanor, uh, his uh, the way he is inclusive in uh, his speech, he's trying not to, uh, I don't know, trying not to irritate people, but he's really speaking as a statesman now right. as someone who's a problem solver and I, I really and very very sympathetic to the victims of COVID-19 and the victims of urban violence the two big stories right now talking so, about grandparents uh, being a parent and a grandparent is, is it is it too late that's the only question right uh, grandparent and parent said I would send my kids back to school it's important he also talked about how he lost two friends uh, to this virus so he knows how serious it is but when he canceled Jacksonville at the same time, said, open up the schools. They said, well, there's a problem with that message. I see the difference. But Lily Escalin Garcia, who's the president of the National Education Association, said this, cut 11. It wasn't safe to put a whole bunch of rich and powerful people in that convention hall. Now, take the same advice from the Republican uh, uh, convention folks and apply that. To a third grade. You want want to have at it? She's right. And, you know, Eric and I face the same kind of situation here in Cleveland with Seoul, our 14-year-old starting ninth grade. Uh, You know, the system here, the the school here, is big enough where they have staggered the class. In other words, Seoul's going to be in class two days a week, uh, two days she's going to do virtual learning, and I don't know what the fifth day is. Uh, but, it, I mean, there's a real uh, recognition 
that uh, everything's got to be scrubbed down, everything's got to be locked down, everything's got to be socially distanced, everyone's going to be wearing masks and all the rest of it. I think that schools can be reopened, uh, but not all schools, because if you have a, you know, uh, we have uh, the Shaker Public Schools here, uh, which are you know, legendary in terms of their integration and, uh, you know, their uh, diversity and so forth. Uh, they're having a very, very difficult time uh, coming up with a plan uh, that would safely allow all those children, uh, all those kids, uh, you know, to have uh, the kind of access that Seoul's going to have. It's it's very going to be a mixed bag, and the teachers' unions are going to be very, very uh, skeptical. And, you know, they don't like Trump anyway. Uh, so uh, I, I, I think a big, big question mark is schools. I, and I, I'll go so far as to say, if there's not a vaccine uh, that's, that distribution has started by mid-October, I think Trump loses. Uh, I will say this. Uh, number one, you've got to go back to school. Uh, the downside is too great uh, intellectually, uh, and they'll, they'll never get it back. This is when the minds are open, especially these grade schoolers. I'll just give you the results of this poll that's out by uh, Public Affairs Research. And they say uh, – of the country say, just open as usual, don't do anything. 14% say, open with minor adjustments. 46% say, open with major adjustments. That's what I love. You combine all that, that's well over 50%. 31% say, not at all. And here's Dr. Scott Atlas, cut 32. The schools is actually not even a controversial issue in my view, because there's, there's three basic things that are irrefutable here. Number one, it's irrefutable that children have extremely low risk from this disease, much less than seasonal flu. Number two, there are serious harms to children from closing schools. I think the president outlined this very well in the briefing. And number three, it's a national priority to educate our children. I mean, this is really just not even controversial. We can do it by protecting the few high-risk teachers. Most teachers are not in the high-risk age group, but we can accommodate that in schools with social distancing. And if they're still afraid, they can use long-distance learning. And I think it's a great lesson to kids, too. There's going to be hurdles in life. We can adjust responsibly. You've had five months. Get it done. You know, I, I hear you and, uh, and, and Scott there, and they, they sound so reasonable. What happens, Brian? Schools open uh, end of August uh, or around Labor Day, beginning of September. Uh, the election's now less than uh, two months away. So the kids are in school. goes two weeks, three weeks. Uh, three, four weeks, you start getting people who are sick, uh, and the experiment uh, blows up in everyone's face, and it, it takes the president down uh, with Well, forget, forget it. Forget, I mean, I'm going to forget about the president. Let's forget the election. Do it Germany, Denmark, uh, Italy. Uh, do it uh, Sweden, uh, Norway. Do what every country's doing. They're going back to school. And uh, if, they're, if you're a white hot spot— they got baseball up. I mean, but yeah. you saw what baseball looked like last night. I mean, if that's okay, if extreme measures uh, are okay, I, I agree about education. I agree how tough it is virtually. We got kids here that don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have computers. Yep. I, I get, I get that they need uh, they need school. But uh, you know, it's going to be very expensive, and uh, you got the government's got to put money. money where its mouth is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and if so, if they can replicate what we're doing in a in a in a Tony private school, uh, you know, in the big public schools at the big urban centers, then uh, then go for it. But I think it's got to be extreme caution. Listen, and, when when there's a terror attack, what did what did Ray Kelly do? He flew his his uh, officers uh, to check out whether it was an explosion in Egypt or Syria, 
He'd go, okay, let me see what's happening. What's Al-Qaeda up to? So what we do is we fly people to Germany. We fly people to Sweden. We say what applies here. We talk about purchasing these things that go around desks that I've seen overseas. I think it was Indonesia. And we talk about, okay, what's your hurdle? How many, how many tests positive? It's infinitesimal. You still send your kids to school. There's more of a chance of them dying from the flu from this. Now, life is full of risks. We took five months off. Get in there and make it work. And if you are 70 years old and you're compromised, find a way to pay them their full salary and let them consult and remote, give some TAs, empower them for a semester uh, in order to get a hold of this thing. There's so many things that if it's a private business, we do. And, and we would make it work because that's what we need to do. And I like what the president said. If not, let the money follow the kid to a private school that is open, if they choose. Money is the is the uh, you know the the root of all good, uh, in this sense. As long if as long as everyone is understanding that this is a proposition that's in the multi billions of dollars, I am absolutely in total agreement with everything you said. Uh, but I, I just, uh, you know, it's just in America, uh, you know, uh, Sean Hannity always says Baltimore is, uh, you know, uh, a failing system. They have 13 public schools, not a single child in those 13 public schools in uh, Baltimore qualifies on the standardized uh, English or math tests, not a single student. Uh, you know, he, he it, it costs money to remediate uh, education, uh, uh, kids in uh, inner city schools. It's going to cost a whole lot of money. And I think that it should be the big priority. I think it should uh, be the focus of, uh, of government largesse. Uh, I, I agree that, that it's uh, something that needs to happen. Uh, yeah. But just as long as everybody understands how expensive it is and how risky it is, uh, you know, I know you don't want to, tr- uh, to, uh, uh, to sully the discussion of school with politics, but it is a reality that you're talking about yeah. the last uh, 50 days of the presidential campaign. Absolutely. And uh, I have an 11th grader and another uh, daughter in college, and, uh, and they both want to go back uh, yesterday. They're uh, sick of you? Yeah, uh, they are sick of me. <laughs> and who doesn't? Uh, sick of me. That's why I keep moving. Uh, moving target, Geraldo. I, I, I adore you. Well, back at you. Geraldo Rivera. Uh, now is at the Montauk uh, Yacht Club having dinner, and everyone's talking about Geraldo's boat used to be here. I'm like, no kidding. Uh, I know that. He let me on and told me to get off right away. Haralda, <laughs> thanks so much. Okay, Brian. You got it. Uh, calls next. And then we have uh, Arthur Herman to put this whole war with China in perspective and what manufacturing might be our greatest weapon. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Given these considerations, we believe many school districts can now reopen safely, provided they implement mitigation measures and health protocols to protect families, protect teachers, and to protect students. And we do have to protect the teachers and the families also. We have to remember that all families should be empowered to make the decision 
that is right for their own circumstance. Right. A lot of people want the hybrid. I want to be able to stay home if I don't feel comfortable, be able to go in if I do feel comfortable. That's, I imagine, teaching resources or you put a camera in the classroom. Um, and I'm sure that takes a little bit of resource. Maybe not that much. Sean is listening to WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Sean. Hey, good morning, Brian. How you doing? Good, good. Where do you stand on the reopening schools, especially Orlando? Kind of a hot spot, right? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of concern down here. They've done some surveys, and um, I think it was something about 10% of parents truly only want their kids to go back to school. Um, I mean, they're okay with the hybrid. I'm totally 100% down with the hybrid. I don't have any children, so I don't know how I would really feel about it, but I agree that we need to get back to a sense of normalcy yep. by opening the schools and, you know, getting the children back in into the classroom. I just don't know if parents are really going to be willing to take that risk to send their kids back to school. Well, they, they tried the other way. No kid is learning. If you've talked to these kids, Sean, I know you don't have, uh, you're not a parent yet. I've talked to these kids all these ages. And all they said to a person, including college, didn't learn a thing. Totally useless. No demands, uh, no attendance, no retribution. Uh, there was no accountability. And it's only going to get worse from here. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's been this long challenge of the Chinese Communist Party stealing intellectual property. We actually talked about this. It's not just American intellectual property, but stolen. It's been European intellectual property, too, causing hundreds, costing hundreds of thousands of jobs. Good jobs for hardworking people all across Europe and America, stolen by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, yeah, some were stolen and others were government saying, hey, you can make it, uh, businesses saying, you can make it uh, cheaper there. I could, You could make it there and ship it back and it's still cheaper and America like cheap goods, so we're going to make it in China. What could be the problem? Well, they became a military and economic power and they're using it as leverage over us. Until recently, we're pushing back on all levels. We're pushing back militarily, two aircraft carriers in the South China Sea. We're pushing back diplomatically. We told them to clear out the Houston consulate. Uh, we're cracking down on uh, spies within our midst. Uh, we're kicking some people out as well and sanctioning others. We know we're up to no good inside China. And they're responding too. So what could we do next time there's a pandemic and we realize all our PPE is made overseas and all pharmaceuticals American companies manufactured there. What do we do now? We get our manufacturing back. How to do it? That's why Arthur Herman joins us. He wrote about in the Wall Street Journal, uh, bringing the factories back home. And one stat stands out at me. In the 1960s, 25% of Americans Americans goods were manufactured at home. That's down to 11% today. So how do we change that, Arthur? Well, you know, that's an amazing statistic, isn't it? And when you think about how that drop has shaped the American economic policy as well as foreign policy, which was that American manufacturing was uh, was on the way out. You know, we, we talked about, remember, the sunset industries. We talked about the Rust Belt. 
And the whole idea was is that outsourcing to other countries, including, of course, China, was really a good thing because it would lower costs and it would help to sort of build the bonds of globalization. And what we're realizing now is is that with China in particular, those kinds of connections and that kind of outsourcing is a national security problem. So bringing it back, that's going to require a number of things. I think it's going to require some tax incentives to encourage American companies to come back home uh, and to uh, and, and to open factories and facilities. It's going to take uh, sanctions on companies that work closely with or too closely with Chinese companies that have strong ties to Chinese military and intelligence services. Uh, we've seen that happen already with regard to, to that telecom equipment giant Huawei, but I think you're going to see an expanding pool of Chinese companies that are considered simply too dangerous to work with and too dangerous to have your facilities in China uh, helping and supporting that military-industrial complex. And finally, I think the other thing we've got to realize is to, we've got to really get America's workforce interested in working on what, you know, uh, sometimes dismissed as, as blue-collar jobs. And that's why when I wrote the piece for the Wall Street Journal, I included the, the labor unions. You know, they're in a position where they could really be a useful part of the story of how America's reshoring takes place. And that the traditional kind of anti-labor union position that the Republicans have taken in the past, Trump has really reversed that. And I think we could be seeing a big change both in the political side, but also on the economic side, as the unions now look for a new political party to be their allies and to be their supporters going forward. I just ran a piece in Fox Opinion on this, Brian, which I recommend to your readers, but it ties in with our whole broad reshoring strategy. You, you know, right now we lack, the, we lack the capacity to be a production facility for Apple and technological firms. You mentioned circuit boards. We only make 5% of the world's circuit boards. Asia gets 90% of them. So, you Isn't know, we may own it, but they control it. They control it. And look, at, and with semiconductors, it's the same story. You know, semiconductors, it's, it's absolutely the, the fundamental to how high tech gets. And, and now, you know, even, even what we consider sort of ordinary tech work gets done. You know, I wrote a book, Freedom's Forge, about how American business and industry built, uh, won uh, America's advantage in World War II. Just imagine during World War II, Brian, if we had said, to you know, automobile companies that said, "Oh, we're going to build you know uh, half a million trucks for the U.S. Army and for the for our armed services." But you know what? Our the rubber that we're going to use for the tires all is going to have to come from Imperial Japan, or all of it's going to come yeah. from Nazi Germany. That's the kind of situation we're in here. World War II. What we did is we built a whole new industry, a synthetic rubber industry. Government encouraged it, helped to subsidize facilities to do that. I think we really need to see government stepping in, not with, you know, huge amounts of money. This is not about throwing, throwing money at the problem. It's about targeting specific industries and specific sectors of economy which have national security implications, critical ones, and promoting and developing and encouraging American manufacturing and innovation and production in those areas. And, and, and that's what my article is all about. And you also talk about artificial intelligence. We will keep hearing this to the next generation. Who doubts it? Nobody. Right. Artificial intelligence, robotics, quantum technologies, nanotechnologies. All right, we might lead, but we also have to make them here. So if, if Apple comes up with something – 
and they make it here. So when there needs to be adjustments to that product, improvements, you talk directly to the manufacturer, not another country who might be taking that technology and using it for their own means or improving on it. That's what China does all the time. Right, no. And you know what's even more, thinking, looking ahead and thinking even broader terms about this, Brian, is don't forget that we are facing a command economy with China, where the Chinese can say, Mrs. Chang, your son is going to become a quantum physicist, or he's going to become an expert in artificial intelligence or nanotechnology. They don't have any choice about that. But, but now what we're going to do is we're going to send your son, Mrs. Chang, to MIT, where he's going to be trained by the finest scientists minds in the United States, the leaders in this field who will train him and give him a graduate degree in this area that was critical for our strategic vision for Made in China 2025. And he's going to come back here. He's going to work for, work for, the, for the People's Liberation Army. Isn't that sound exciting for you? That's what they're able to do. We don't have, and thank God we don't, we don't have a command economy. We need to have an economy that encourages and incentivizes the same kind of strategic strategic thinking by our business leaders. And right now, as you know, Brian, and this is one of our big problems, is a lot of CEOs for major companies, including Silicon Valley, are still in that globalization mindset, which is, is that, hey, it doesn't really matter where you build your facilities or who's doing your manufacturing. If it lowers your costs, who cares, right? It's the bottom line. The bottom line is its products are going to be cheaper uh, and we're able to, you know, able, able to expand right. our Markets. Arthur That's Herman's been the with mindset us. for so long. Yeah, Arthur Herman's with us, historian that. who a column for the Wall Street Journal, another one for Fox News, uh, and also knows is a great military historian specifically. So when we look at right now, we are taking China on in so many places. Uh, we are yes, sanctioning them because of Hong Kong. We also uh, sanction individuals because of that too. We're also putting sanctions on them because of the the collection of the Muslim Uyghurs into a concentration camp, and then we're reestablishing ourselves in the South China Sea at the same time collapsing a consulate in Houston and more. Are you convinced this strategy is right? But knowing what you just told us about manufacturing, don't they have the trump card? Well, they do for now in, in this sense that, that obviously when you look at a company like Apple, right, about 80% of Apple's supply chain is, sent, uh, is, is established in China you know, for their facilities for, for baking. And you sort of say, gosh, that's really a whopping advantage. And no wonder they're able to sort of manipulate Apple and, and Tim Cook and his team to work with China. But on the other hand, don't forget, they're hugely vulnerable as well because their intellectual supply chain, right, including intellectual property that they steal from us, comes from us. So, and we saw this with the with the with the telecom giant ZTE when we cut off their access to their to their to their uh, microchips, and suddenly they had to close facilities, had to close factories all over China as a result of it. So we have ways to push back. What I'm going to say, Brian, about what's happening right now with the Trump administration is they're moving in a new direction, and that is is that they've always been critical about China. Peter Navarro has been talking about China taking advantage on our trade relationship for years and writing about it. 
But now what you're seeing is the Trump administration and Mike Pompeo talking about the internal dynamics of the Communist Party and the way in which the Chinese political system is run and calling them out on this authoritarian, totalitarian regime that has been in place there going back really to, to, to the days of Mao Zedong. Right. And this is a new direction here. I know. And, I and think, Arthur, I'm going to have to stop end, you there. It's going to be a good direction for us and for the future. To I really hope so. Call, call it the way it is. Arthur Herman, thanks so much. Appreciate you it. You bet, Brian. Great perspective. When we come you. back. I join Stuart Varney on Varney and Company. You'll get to finally see what I look like. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. And after I do join Stuart, I'll definitely get to the calls. I see Michael in Georgia, Tom in Kansas, Ed in New York, uh, Rich in Ocala, Nick over in WABC in Rockland. I'll, get to, I'll try to get to all of you when we're done, but I have a pretty good segment in store. Uh, we're going to talk about reopening the schools. It's a lot on your mind in, in many respects right now as well as esports. Turns out AOC wants to make sure the Army can't recruit on esports. Why does the Army want esports? Because that's where the kids watch. They've got millions of people watching, uh, competing in esports, who are logging on, and they want to let them know Army's an option. For example, when it comes to drone technology, you basically work a joystick the whole time. Why not go there? Uh, does she understand that 9-11 happened because we took our eye off the ball with our military? And does she understand the role our military did in wiping out al-Qaeda, ISIS, and making sure they don't come back again, even though every day we live in danger that they've done just that? So let's listen in. Joining us now live on the radio, Brian Kilmeade, host of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Great to have you along, uh, Brian. It's Friday, of course, so Stu doesn't do Fridays. Um, President Trump admitting that not all schools may open as planned this year. And here's what happens, he says, if they don't. Roll tape. If schools do not reopen, the funding should go to parents to send their child to public, private, charter, religious or homeschool of their choice. So, Brian, what do you think about that? I can't see Democrats allowing tax dollars to go to private schools. Do you? Well, especially in Los Angeles, where they said one of the demands for them to actually work and do their job was to defund the charter schools. Is that amazing? So it would be a tough row. I don't know how you execute it. So Billy Johnson doesn't uh, school is closed, but wants to go to the private school, Catholic school, the charter school down the block. Where do you get the money from? I mean, do you actually get a physical voucher that you can honor, almost like you get a gift card uh, at a store that says you could go to Amazon? I'm not sure, but that would put pressure on schools to make an admirable and honest effort in opening up or you lose some of that mm. financing. They're going to get money anyway, Ashley, because this Rescue 5 plan has got money for schools to disinfect, to spread out, to have a right. outside the room, outside, uh, an outside option when the weather's good. 
How critical, Brian, is it to get the kids back in the classroom? Because the critics will say you're putting their health at risk and especially the teachers and they shouldn't go back if there's ever any doubt. How do you respond to that? You have to go back. Uh, You saw the stats. They don't lie. There's risk in everything in life, but there's more of a chance of you getting the flu and dying from it than it is for if you're a kid, especially uh, if you're in your single digits, if you're in grammar school, uh, more of a chance to die from the flu. We always hear about flu going through schools. We get notices, but the kids go to school mm-hmm. without a mask. And you wonder, is that kid really recovered? But now the chances of a kid dying and suffering from it and bringing it, bringing it around as carriers is low. So why not do it? Mm-hmm. Also, what a message to kids. Sometimes life, there are hurdles. So you don't just sit shelter in place and wait for the scary stuff to go away. You find a way to adapt. You do responsible things. You know so much more in eight months. I'll give you shut down. We don't know enough. Well, now it's been six months. We know a lot. And we know this. What's a hot spot, what's not, where the danger is and where it isn't. There should be a fallback plan in case something happens where two kids come down with it or a teacher tests positive. There's got to be a hallway, whatever it is, a hallway situation where everyone in that hallway has to get tested right. or go home for two or three days. There's got to be rapid test purchases. We've got to have a dollar figure on how much you need. We have temperature checks. I have kids playing sports now. They're starting to do contact, not football contact, but mm. soccer, your, your brand of football contact, and baseball, yes. full league game. There's tournaments going on, but the kid can't go and sit in school for four or five hours. If you want a hybrid model where a nervous, maybe a new parent who tends to be a little bit more nervous than experienced parents, they'll say, okay, I want to start out at home and I want to have a camera in every classroom so that kid could decide to learn from home as well as go to school. Do you see what happens when you want to get it done, when you understand it's in the best interest, not of money, not of politics, of the child? The British did a study, and they talk about a whole generation being set back in a workforce suffering and a national economy suffering if a kid misses a year of school. Think about that. Do you know one kid that said seventh yeah. grade, second grade, or college that said, I, I learned online and it worked out well? None. They all know it's a total colossal waste of time. There's no accountability. You know, very quickly, we need the kids to get back to school, Brian, because we need the parents to get back to work. It has a huge economic impact beyond the classroom. 100%. And what about the people that are most susceptible, the urban environments, the rural environments, that they don't have the Wi-Fi, they don't necessarily have the dollars to where it could take off and be home. Some of these kids in urban urban environments have not been out of their apartment. The parks have been shut down. The options are few. The leagues aren't happening. The camps have been canceled. And now you tell them after four months of waiting, they can't go back to school, a school that was out in maybe – financially challenged anyway, it's going to get some money from the Rescue 5 package. Use that money to tell kids in life is full of hurdles, we're going to find a way. And that's the message because the kids that need it most are going to suffer the most. The parents who are lucky enough to have some money are going to get the tutors, are going to have the the support mechanisms, certainly have the Wi-Fi. Right. Not fair. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree with you more, Brian Kilmeade. You've been on a roll today. And thanks for taking time out from your show to chat with us. We appreciate it. Yep. Actually, we're, we're on together. We're sharing audiences. So there You're you good go. Guy, isn't he, Brian thanks, Kilmeade. Ashley. Always very good. Rich, SKY, Ocala, uh, Ocala, Florida. Hey, Rich. Hey, Brian. How are you? You got two kids um, in school. Are they going the back? The thing that I want to bring up is. Hello? Yeah, you have two kids in school. 
Yeah, I have two kids in school. Um, and they're elementary and middle. And the problem that I have is with the unknown of what happens when a child might get test positive for COVID. Does that mean all the kids have to quarantine for two weeks? Do I have to quarantine for two weeks and be out of work for two weeks? There's a lot of what ifs out there that we haven't addressed as far as that. Like, I want my kids to go back to school. We ended up going virtual because I'm fortunate enough to have a housewife at home who is amazing. And she's going to take over this year with virtual school and then at the end of this year, decide whether they're going back to brick or mortar if it all calms down. But that's the question I have. What about when one's positive? Where do we go from there? Good point. And I got the rapid testing and the temperature checks, too. Every school has to have a fallback plan. What if? I get it. But that's answerable. It's answerable at work here at Fox. We know what to do. You know, it's answerable with sports teams. It's answering with baseball. It's answering with soccer. They answer with the NBA. Can we help the kids get back to school? Say hello to their friends and their teachers? Go back to their teams, please. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's been a great week. Thanks so much for being here. Chris Steyerwolf at the bottom of the hour, uh, talking about those Fox polls look terrible for the president. president really doesn't love Fox polls, but... Chris always defends them. Uh, they're well-researched by fine people. President really taking a much different tone these days. Shannon Bream getting set to get started. Her show starts shortly in, okay, I mean, 12 hours. So she's going to be with us soon. President of the United States is found made a Titanic announcement yesterday, basically canceling the RNC. Nobody cares what happens in Charlotte. It's almost going to be a paper-pushing thing. He's going to give a big speech, but that's going to be news. Uh, also... The fact that he's pushing but not demanding everyone go back to school and law and order continues to be a big deal as we take on China everywhere else around the world. A lot going on as usual. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The U.S. has become the first country to reach 4 million coronavirus cases. It took the U.S. 97 days to reach the first million cases, according to Johns Hopkins University. The next 2 million took less than half that time, even less to get to the 3 million mark, and just 15 days to jump to 4 million. Coronavirus is still rolling through the Southwest as the president hands over a blueprint for reopening schools, and Republicans scramble to agree on a fifth aid package for the Millions affected. Number two. Clearly, it was supposed to be done in secret, kind of like former Mayor Daley did with Mixed Field in the middle of the night, destroying that. Um, pretty sad that she has to resort to those tactics. Wow, the president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police commenting on the unrest, that the problem that they're having in that city. Meanwhile, the unrest continues in Portland and Seattle queues up for this meet weekend. It'll be major problems. The administration's not standing by. They are in action as America's second worst mayor, Lightfoot of Chicago, caves to rioters. And in the middle of the night, actually 530 in the morning, took down the Columbus statue. What do you say to the 50 plus cops who were wounded protecting it last weekend? Number one. This afternoon, my political team came to me and laid out our plans for the convention in Jacksonville, Florida. But I looked at my team and I said, the timing for this event is not right. It's just not right with what's happened. 
And he canceled presidential politics. New numbers in for the president and Republicans. They're not good. This is the convention canceled. When the president has got what the president has going for him, a newfound discipline. And time, uh, and time will see if he could turn it around And uh, in August, September, and October. As Hyden Biden gets another rebuke from the, uh, an African-American leader. Shannon Bream, come on in. What is going on, Brian Kilmeade? What is going on? First off, what's going on every night when you get on is the Portland riots. Uh, they continue. And yep. now all of a sudden, President Trump is the bad guy? Uh, yeah, it's interesting how these cities are having such a hard time. And, you know, I talked about this last night on the show. If we weren't in an election year, would it be this divisive? Would it be this political? Or would these mayors be saying, you know what? We do need your help. This has gotten a little bit out of control. We want to protect people who are protesting for things that matter. But for the people who are coming in just to burn and loot and destroy, you know, we need some federal help. And that's what it's there for. Um I have to think in an election year, these conversations between the feds and the locals might be going a little differently. Uh, perhaps. I don't think they can get it under control, though. It does seem to be out of control. And Joe Biden is getting away with not really commenting on it. So the president's taking action instead of just talking about it. And now they're saying he's authoritarian. He's militaristic. This is what a dictatorship looks like. Those are the same people who are saying, oh, the president has given too much power to the states when it comes to the coronavirus. He's the worst dictator ever. Exactly. Um, And the thing is, these folks will find on the left, and we're seeing it play out now, that they can go after the president, they can go out after everyone. The more that they entertain the truly anarchists, you know, the anarchist movements and the chaotic movements, whatever, it will turn on them. We're seeing it in all of these cities now. You saw Mayor uh, Ted Wheeler out in Portland, who, if you're a member over the last few years, there were issues with ICE officers being under attack and people not being protected and them not sending the Portland police and, and holding back the Portland police when the police said, we need to confront these people and be able to quell this particular you know, protest or riot or whatever. He shows up the other night and now they're booing him. I mean, the left will eventually come after the left. If they allow them to kind of eat everyone else alive, you're at some point going to wind up in their crosshairs as well. And here's how right you are. Oakland mayor uh, couldn't be more liberal. They found her address. They defiled her property. Mm -hmm. Now you have Mayor Lightfoot last night. It got so bad. Her service, Secret Service, had to get her out of her own house. We know that Mayor Mm -hmm. de Blasio has got a homeless shelter on his front lawn, but he invited it. We know that the mayor of Seattle, they went for her house, and then suddenly the autonomous zone wasn't the summer of love anymore. And then the mayor of Portland, what an embarrassment he is. Here's an example of how crude things are getting in Portland. Listen to this. This is a man to a a kid. Cut 14. Say it again. Thank you. They are. All right, all right, watch out. All right. What is it? All right. Say it. So they're using the F word to describe the police. This is how deranged these people are. They actually think this is something good. I mean, that actually breaks my heart when you see a kid like that, a little baby who doesn't understand what they're saying, whether it's F Republicans, F Democrats, whatever it is. I mean, to have a child say F the police or what, I mean, it just, that just turns my stomach. It's heartbreaking to me that a little baby's being dragged into this thing, not even understanding what they're saying. But I think the more that you see that, I think the more everyday American who's out there raising their kids, trying to put food on the table, they see this stuff. It's so 
anathema to them. I mean, it's so divorced from their world. They just cannot get down with it at all. And, you know, yesterday um, I'm looking on Twitter, some of the reaction to all these different cities, um, and I see one not conservative person on Twitter, um, you know, leans more liberal just from their description. It's pretty far left. And they said, listen, all of this stuff that we're watching is actually helping President Trump and it's helping Republicans because, you know, everyday Americans are not going to look at this and say, yeah, I'm down with that. I mean, it provides a contrast. Um, I don't know that, you know, it's 100 percent working for the conservatives yet to pin this all on Biden because he says, listen, I'm not for defunding the police. He is left on some things, but he's trying to draw a line. A lot of Democrats aren't, though. They're out there saying, we're with these men and women. We're with yeah. this. Not just peaceful, but the, you know, the, the ones that are stirring things up and damaging property because the feds are the ones instigating it, and they're the ones asking for it. But, Shannon, when you don't comment, you comment. When you don't That's say, true. I am really disturbed after 57 days of unrest, I see the graffiti on federal buildings and it is not okay with me. All you have to do is say, I understand the sentiment of racial justice in this country, but there are things you could be anti-Antifa and still be a Democrat. There's a group already identified, an Antifa offshoot. There's another group in Detroit, an Antifa offshoot, that has nothing to do with racial justice, George Floyd, or any Black Lives Matter movement, I don't think, uh, and for the most part. So. So if you look at Chicago, Detroit, Albuquerque, it's a different type of unrest. These are shootings. Mm -hmm. These are just violence. And I was staggered by this. In Chicago, 117,000 gangs, uh, gang members, 55 known gangs. Of those gangs, there are 747 factions. Of those factions, there are 2,500 subsets. So some of those subsets were shooting each other up at funerals. Mm -hmm. So the president, I love that he did this. He called Mayor Lightfoot, his biggest critic, and said, I got to give you some help. But this is a different type of help. This help is not to stop a protest. This is stop the massacre of innocent people. Mm -hmm. And dare I say, unwind these gangs. Yeah, and, and people do need to understand that it is different. And there are some leaders out there who have acknowledged this is a different kind of thing. When you're sending in investigators, you're sending in reinforcements to the U.S. Attorney's Office so they can help track yes. down these gangs and prosecute these crimes. That's different than sending riot troops or, or federal officers and agents into Portland where, I mean, I think most normal people would agree when a federal building's under attack, it's fine to have federal agents there defending it. But what he announced this week from the White House is different. It's surging in law enforcement investigators, you know, all kinds of people to help crack down. I mean, those numbers that you cite for gangs in Chicago, like, how do we get there in an American city? How does that happen? And you talk about unwinding it. I, I don't know how you unravel that, but you can't do it by not enforcing things. And we've also had this, you know, accusations coming forward now from a number of law enforcement officers that prosecutors in a lot of these cities aren't actually prosecuting crimes. Either they're letting people out or they're not or, or they're Ooh. overwhelmed. And again, that's a place where you could accept federal help if you need more investigators to help solve local homicides and that kind of stuff. I mean, there are ways that feds but can Shannon, can I have to stop help. you. You gave misinformation. They are prosecuting crimes. The McCloskey's. Right. The McCloskeys well, who tried people. to protect their house after they stormed through their iron gate. Yeah. OK. So, you know, uh, Kim Gardner is the circuit attorney there who uh, said, yeah, I'm going to go after these guys. We also find out yesterday and, and listen, local, local law enforcement we've talked to there tell us she's not prosecuting crimes. The governor of Missouri says there are, are scores of homicide cases that she is not going after 
serious crimes, but she found time for the McCloskeys. He's going to pardon them no matter what. But the fact that we have these documents from a local news uh, source there that says they were given to them anonymously, so we can't vouch for them, but they appear to show that her gun, Patricia McCloskey's gun, was not operable when they took it in. They had it reassembled, allegedly, and then identified it as lethal because you have to say that the gun was operable and lethal at the time or you can't charge them with the crime. That's just giving people ammunition. If that is true... Kim Gardner is going to take even more heat after going uh, for going after them and reassembling their guns so it now constitutes a crime, but it didn't when they were but actually Janet, there on their property. You're speaking like a lawyer. Let's speak like a homeowner or somebody who has property. And if you have that castle law, and if you can't defend yourself as an angry mob come towards you to take apart everything you've worked for, when can you ever protect yourself? Why have a Second Amendment? Well, Brian, you know, though, what what Kim Gardner says there, the local prosecutor, is that there was no threat. The mob was not angry. They were unarmed. They were peaceful and they hadn't actually entered into anyone's home. That is her argument. And that's that's why they didn't get shot. They were in the property, (laughs) but they didn't penetrate the house. If they'd come through the door, I think this case would be even more headline grabbing, unfortunately. So in Seattle, there's going to be protests this weekend out of the out of the Portland mix. So it's going to be ugly. And guess what? The Seattle cops who have been so abused and had all these retirements now through a court order are prevented from using any chemical and kinetic crowd control, i.e. tear gas, flashbangs, rubber bullets until September 30th. Wow. If you're a police officer or the family of a police officer and you know these riots are coming and you can't even do riot control, why would you go to work? Well, and that's the thing is all of this adds up to crushing morale for law enforcement officers because these people do not go into it for the money. These are people who have a dedication or need to serve or want to, you know, get out there and be on the front lines and good and evil. They don't make a ton of money. And now if you're going to take away the tools that they need, they would argue to do their jobs to keep themselves safe. Um, it completely demoralizes them. We've seen these threats of mass retirements and resignations. Um, some departments have had to put holds on those so they can stay fully staffed. Um, I can't imagine how tough it is to be a law enforcement officer. If you're one of the vast majority who are good-hearted people trying to do what's right, um, it's got to be demoralizing. But I think that that lends into this whole idea of people who want to break down society. Um, if you can't get cops to show up for work or hire new cops, that is a real um, you know, sledgehammer to law and order and trying to keep communities under control. But we have people out there who now openly say that is their goal. They don't want police at all on their streets, in their neighborhoods. Um, and in some places, they may get that and find out it's not exactly all it was cracked up to be. All right. So back to politics for a second. Joe Biden's way of attacking the president has always been he's a racist. And I contend there's a chance he feels that way. But the other contention is the president was making real inroads with African-American communities Mm -hmm. prior to the the pandemic. And if he does that, he wins. If it gets close to 20 percent, even 15 percent, that would double Mitt Romney's. Uh, And he did better than Mitt Romney did. So here's Biden yesterday. Cut nine. His, his spreading of racism, the way he deals with, with, yes. with people based on the color of their skin, their national origin, where they're from, is absolutely sickening. Yes. No sitting president has ever done this. Never, never, never. No Republican president has done this. No Democratic president. We have racists, and they've existed, and they've tried to get elected president. He's the first one that has. 
So that the reaction was swift from the morning mm-hmm. show host, who's an impact player, Charlemagne the God. He said this when he heard that. Cut 10. I wish Joe Biden would shut the F up forever and continue to act like he's starring in the movie A Quiet Place. Because as soon as he opens his mouth and makes noise, he gets us all killed. It's already so many people who are reluctantly only voting for Joe Biden because he's the only option and because Donald J. Trump is gat trash. Old white male leadership has failed America. And there is nothing worse than an old white male who can't recognize the faults and flaws of other old white males. We live in a country where everyone now is trying to act so woke. They're acting like they see us. And it's very hard for me to believe they are sincere. Uh, He keeps blowing up with this guy and certain members of the black community. And I keep seeing that enthusiasm in the black community, not high with him. Yeah. And I think um, I think there are a lot of people within the black community who feel very used. I mean, they feel like politicians of all stripes will come to them in election years, especially and say things about reparations or other things that really don't have much of a chance on Capitol Hill, things of actually becoming a reality, but they will say things as they do to many groups um, to get their votes. But I mean, to have someone like Charlemagne, who is a huge voice and influence out there saying these things, you got Kanye, who I think is, you know, maybe having some struggles right now, but he's been out there many times over the years saying, you don't really care about the black community. You don't show up for us when it matters. Um, You're hearing more and more voices Mm -hmm. going out there and publicly saying that. I mean, um, you have the founder of BET out there not long ago saying like, listen, I think we need to start a new party because I don't think the Democrats, they've owned our votes forever, but I don't think they're really there for us. So you've got a lot of prominent black voices starting to question uh, this. And, and, you know, something I saw yesterday, a headline I saw yesterday said that um, Trump is actually polling better with black Americans this time around than he did in 2016. Wow. So Shannon Bream, a difference maker. we're going to see you at 11. Thanks so much. Back with your calls. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Let's go to Harold. This is on WPTF in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Harold. Good, good morning, sir. If I was a Seattle police officer, I wouldn't show up to work. And everybody that works in that department should not show up to work to get pelted with rocks and bottles and bricks. And when you put your hands on somebody, now you're, the, the phones come out and all of a sudden you're the bad guy. Absolutely. That's point. That's point number one. Point number two is these politicians who have been in office for 30 and 40 years with their failed policies have caused the problems in the inner city. The cops have to clean it up. How come none of these idiots are brought up for malfeasance or incompetence or corruption? Because we're, cops deal with the nonsense because these politicians haven't did their job. And they, they, they have immunity. They can't be sued. But you can sue a cop now. I hear you. You know, you guys all of a sudden have to deal with the fact that the parenting's terrible, that these kids are unfocused, that the jobs for temporarily anyway uh, have jobless rate is at 11 percent and the frustrations being taken out of the streets. And they're looking at the way you're reacting to the unrest. They got it ass backwards, Harold. Thanks for what you do. And I agree with you. Feel bad for those people in Seattle. We're going to be back in just a moment. Speak with Chris Steyerwald and then open up more of your calls. Don't lose your spot. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, an explosive Friday. From the Fox 
News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The thing I've got confidence in, Joe, is is your heart and your character and, and the fact that you are going to be able to reassemble the kind of government that cares about people. As a little bit of the conversation President Obama had with Joe Biden with music in the background, uh, and they need a bullhorn to communicate. That's how far away they are. Uh, but they are social distancing, unlike Anthony Fauci last night at the Nats game, which he somehow was able to watch uh, after throwing the opening pitch. But he seems like a wonderful man. Chris Tyrell, political editor of Fox News, his Fox News halftime reporter of The Buzz of the Nation. Chris, welcome back. The Fauci pitch, I mean, he's an older gentleman, and I want to be respectful of that. But uh, he, he flattened the curve on that one, at least. There's no, there's uh, no, yeah. ki- no kidding. <laughs> but if you're ever going to throw the opening pitch at a major league game, the time to do it is now, right? No that fans to yell at you? Pressure's down. Well, and of course, as long as you're not in New York or Boston, you're generally not going to be harassed too much by the fans. But yes. Uh, and, you know, the, the other thing is, you remember when <clears throat> Bush uh, was going to throw out the opening pitch at the Yankees game? The unknown story. Bush, who played ball, right, in high school, he went out and practiced. And we've heard the stories from aides who had to go out and catch for him because he knew when he went out there he was going to throw a strike. He had to do it. So he boned up. When the pressure's on, you got to be ready to deliver. But, well, you know, it's been pointed out before, Chris, but I'll throw it to you. Mariana Rivera is in the briefing room, and they're talking about the coronavirus. And at the Nats game is Anthony Fauci throwing out the first pitch. How about a role reversal? <laughs> Get Fauci back over here. They need Rivera. Make it happen. I like it. So the president of the United States has got a different tone uh, with these coronavirus briefings. I think it's 100% better than it was. He has to show he's engaged. And I'll tell you what, it's a different 5 o'clock press conference. I know it interrupts the 5, so Greg Gutfeld looks at it the same way. But how do you feel about it? Look, um, this is, you know, we're uh, two days out and the president's in bad trouble and he is acting like he knows it now. They canceled the uh, the misbegotten convention in Jacksonville. The president acknowledges the severity of the situation with the coronavirus. He adopts a more somber tone. Uh, and that is, I think it's more likely that Trump will lose than not. But if he does win, we will be able to track back to this week the shift because clearly they fire their campaign manager. They change the approach. The president changes his tone. They try to get with it. And if you recall in 2016, the discipline that Trump found for the two weeks at the end after the Access Hollywood tape because he was afraid he was going to get his brains beat in. Uh, won the election, right? I don't know how long Trump can maintain this kind of self-discipline, but this is what it takes to win. And if he wants to be reelected, what it takes to win is a lot of self-discipline. Chris, and I I 100% agree with you. That's why I know you're right. 
Uh, <laughs> and I've been talking about this. Yeah, the numbers look terrible, right? With the battleground states, I see it. And even if you don't believe uh, the Quinnipiac poll or the Fox poll, even if they're half off the numbers, it's still a distance. Right. Doesn't yeah. mean it's over. And the thing is, if you had a situation where traditional campaign, I'll give you four events a day. Uh, Joe Biden will not be a strong campaigner. I'll show you the interact, more spontaneous interaction, less chance of trouble. Joe Biden will be in constant trouble. Then I'll give you a great speech at the convention and you'll watch the gap close. We're not going to have those events. They're not going to have the rallies. Now they're not going to have the convention. And if you have to wait to close the gap for the debates, it might be too late. Do you agree? Um. I, let me let me just challenge your thinking on this a little bit, uh, which is to say, and this is uh, colored by what I'm doing right now, which is I'm looking at uh, historical data on presidential reelections going back to Harry Truman, and I'm looking at where the races were 100 days out. The, the truth is, even in those years where you had the things that you're describing, um, it's hard to get the pivot. Right. It's hard to get the pivot because usually by this point in an election, the cake is pretty well baked. Now, there are exceptions to that. And uh, Carter had a bit of a comeback in the late going, but ended up losing after that debate uh, in 1980. But the reality for Trump is he needs good news. He has had a unlucky year. He has he has fumbled a couple of times. He said, but he's had a very after a very lucky three years, he had an unlucky year. He needs good news. And he needs Americans to feel better about the coronavirus, and he needs Americans to feel better about the economy. And that can only happen with material things. Actual material things have to happen. And I would just point out, there's plenty of time for that attitude shift to occur. If you think about where we were 100 days ago versus where we are now, we went through a period of despair and optimism and despair again just in the last 100 days. What will be in the next 100 days? What will be the news on vaccines? What will be the news on school reopenings? What will all those things be? That will be the most determinative part of this, far beyond what either campaign does. So, you know, you know about spins and phrases and the impact of words. I read this thing with General McChrystal about a month ago in the Washington Post. And his, him and General Petraeus and Michael Flynn and those guys came up with ingenious ways of penetrating al-Qaeda and ISIS. And they were able to find out what their messaging was and reverse it, take their strength and make it uh, their greatest liability. And I was taken aback, and I'm the biggest General McChrystal fan of the world, had a chance to meet him. He's been on three of my episodes of Fox Nation series. Biggest fan. I'm in awe of what he's already accomplished uh, and the way he kept his – did not go for any type of angry interview after Barack Obama no. ousted him. But he's been hired by a super PAC to actually unwind Donald Trump and take his strengths and make it weaknesses. They're using some of the same operative messaging that they used to take down Zarqawi and to take Mohammed Atef, uh, Atef down and all these others that perpetrated these horrible crimes on Americans and, uh, and the West. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Law and order is authoritarian. You're an authoritarian. You're, a mil- you're too militaristic. He's trying to be a dictator. Well, no, no. Law and order is one of Trump's strengths. He's unbalanced. They're using that. Now you make up a scenario as if it's self. It's going to happen. And the big scenario that they're making up now is the president's going to refuse to leave. It started with Joe Biden saying we'll have the military escort him out. And then you had Eric Holder say it on Monday. And then you had John Heilman say it yesterday. And I'm not saying they're necessarily in the same Zoom call, but they're on the same school of thought. 
And now all of a sudden Trump is defending on something that didn't happen. And mm-hmm. the election, the president's going to refuse to acknowledge the results of the election. So are you seeing this? Well, I mean, I, no offense to David Petraeus, but or um, uh, Stanley McChrystal, they weren't the first ones to know about using your opponent's strengths and turn them into weaknesses. That's what Bill Clinton did. Uh, and as a matter of fact, that's what Donald Trump did. Uh, the strength of Donald Trump in 2016 was he took issues that used to be Democratic strengths, strengths with working class, blue collar, white voters in the upper Midwest, uh, strength on economic populism and people who were resentful uh, about how wealthy other people had gotten. Uh, free trade, all these things. He went and poached all the Democratic issues and turned them back around on Hillary Clinton. That's what smart politicians do. That's what smart persuaders do. Um, And, you know, I'm sure your Fox Nation show is great and McChrystal is great, but he didn't invent that. Um, Well, I'm actually giving it the, the, you know, the quick course on it. It goes into great detail, but. But no, you know what I mean, though. It's like, that's what you do. What you, you can't just let somebody else have their strength. So it's like Joe Biden. I have experience. Well, you don't have experience uh, in doing the right thing. You have experience in doing the wrong thing. You've been you've been here for 40 years, blah, 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 blah. Ronald Reagan's joke. I'm not going to use uh, people want to talk about age, but I'm not going to use my opponent's youth and inexperience against him. Ha ha ha. The the thing about the false attack against Trump, I'm not going to worry too much about it because both of these campaigns are leveling outrageous allegations at each other. Uh, Trump's new ad with a little old lady who looks like she was in the life alert commercial is going to be murdered by goons, shadowy goons outside. And that's what Joe Biden wants, because he wants to get rid of police. And they're just I mean, we're going to see and we are only at the cusp. We are only at the beginning of how nasty this is going to be, because there's this huge reservoir of hatred among Democrats for Trump. And Trump, as we know, in his campaign will say anything. So this is going to get wild and woolly and nasty. So I'm not going to do I'm not going to worry too too much. I'll do may do a little at some point. I'm not going to do too much about uh, calling uh, fouls of uh, uh, the marquee to Queensberry rules. This is going to be an ugly pig wrestling match. Uh, Chris, could you tell me the uh, methodology behind the Fox News poll? How many Republicans, well, how many Democrats, how many women? Uh, we get a jar of jelly beans. And then I eat all of the red ones because they're the best. And then we count and whichever side has the most beans. Uh, Our polling uses the, you know, industry industry standard uh, for what you do. And what you do is you make sure that you have a sample that is large enough to be statistically useful. And you make sure that that stand that that sample reflects the population of the electorate, right? So if you're going for registered voters, you want to make sure that you have a sample that looks basically like what the population of the state looks like in terms of how many women, how many men, how many black people, how many white people, uh, Hispanics, how many people of income. So you control for those questions and then you get your, and then you get your population and you see what they think. Gotcha. Chris, uh, have a great weekend. You do the same, doctor. All right. Uh, thanks so much. I see you out there. I see Michael and Tom and Rob. We're going to get to all of you, you three first. Uh, that is Chris Dyerwell. We're going to finish up the hour of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's a photo of you sitting in the stands uh, with two people. Uh, you're not wearing a mask. You're not social distancing. We should point out one of those people is your wife. Uh, what about the other person? The other person, a very close friend of mine. And, John, I, I understand. That I think this is sort of mischievous with this mm-hmm. thing going around. I had my mask around my chin. I had taken it down. I was totally dehydrated, and I was drinking water, trying to re rehydrate myself. And by the way, I was negative COVID literally the day before. So I guess people want to make a big of that. I wear a mask all the time when I'm outside to pull it down, to take some sips of water and put it back up again. Uh, I guess if people want to make something about that, they can. But to me, I think that's just mischievous, John. I just wish everyone would hold that. They just uh, were on the president for having a toss with Mariana Rivera and they weren't wearing masks uh, on a on a on a toss, a baseball, a baseball catch. So they were about 15 feet away from each other. And I agree that that's people getting in other people's face. And that was uh, something done on John Roberts where he had his mask down on his chin, I think, and he was uh, doing work. And one of the other reporters, Jonathan Carl, took his picture and said, what's going on here with John Roberts where I'm wearing a mask? And then he later apologized. And I feel fine with that. Um, don't be, you know, you know, worry about yourself. Sometimes people forget, you know, you forget your keys, you forget your wallet, you forget your iPad. I get it. But just it's got to know, it's got to go what comes around, goes around. I'm not saying he insults people, but big Anthony Fauci backers are jumping all over the president nonstop for not wearing a mask, even though he gets tested every day. Michael in Georgia. Hey, Michael. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. Uh, They need to follow the science. The kids, they don't get the virus easily. They're bad carriers, and they don't spread it. And there's not one case of a kid infecting his family from school. So follow the science. Open the darn schools. That's just silly. Uh, Uh, Next thing real quick. Geraldo said that Trump supporters are embarrassed. They are not embarrassed. We are wary of being attacked by these crazy people on the left. And I'm so glad this survey came out showing that conservatives and moderate liberals are, are hesitant to reveal their political leanings because we don't want our cars set on fire. We don't want people showing up at our house of these crazy liberals. So it's not embarrassing. Yeah. It's for our safety. I think so, you're on the same page. It was just a, a different word he used. Not yeah, embarrassed. He just said they just don't want the conflict because they support the president. It's amazing. Thanks, Michael. Uh, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Speaking of the president, he's going to throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium August 15th. Uh, he told that to White House reporters yesterday, asked by his good buddy and our good friend of our show, Randy Levine of the New York Yankees. I think it's perfect because when a president comes to New York and he's not a uh, Democrat, a lot of times they get booed. The president will not have fans, we don't believe, on August 15th. Next, Yankees win, Yankees win, Yankees win. Cue the highlights. All right. They won by a final score of five, uh, four to one in five innings. Cole gave up a run, a hit, issued just a walk. And Garrett Cole gives the high-priced uh, pitcher they got from the Houston Astros who cheated their way to a world championship. Uh, and they still have not come to grips with that. Uh, next, 
As baseball gets underway, the Yankees hopes there will be fans in the park by the end of 2020. I do, too, in September. Uh, Randy Levine said that on our show. He said, here's the quote. There's no replacement for fans. The Yankees will have the greatest fans. I believe that if you know the virus, especially in New York, stays low and dormant in a month or two, we can start exploring that, you know, as long as they have social distancing and wear masks. I think Yankee fans are going to well up outside the stadium as they will with the Mets. Next. As baseball gets underway, the Yankees president hopes uh, there was two of them there. Sorry. Friends share a Powerball jackpot win, keeping a 1992 promise. Listen to this. A West uh, Wisconsin man will share his millions in lottery wins with his longtime friend because in 1992, they said if either one of them won, they would share it. So it was $22 million bucks, and friends Tom Cook and Joseph Feeney uh, shook hands then and will share it now. After taxes, the men chose the cast option will get $16.7 million, leaving each with $5.7 million after taxes. Would you Brian, keep that it, promise? Isn't that the best story of the day? It is. The they kept friendship. the promise. And did you hear what the one friend, he said uh, when the one friend called, he goes, are you calling me? Are you jerking my bobber? Because he's such an avid fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I have never used that term, but I think we have to apologize to some of our listeners. I'm sure it's, that insulted some. Term. Okay, good. Next. <laughs> Washington may be the be called the Washington football team with generic uniforms until the new name is chosen. The logo on the helmets will be replaced by a player number as the team relies on the community and its players to pick a new name. I want them to keep this name. The franchise started in Boston and had the name Redskins since 1933, but now it's a problem. Next. Cleveland will meet with the with Native American groups and discuss their name. The Cleveland Indians of baseball. Paul Dolan said that they committed to doing that. I get is that going to be an insult? Should the Indians change? I don't think they should. I mean, the thing that they should have changed, which they have, is getting rid of that cartoon logo of the Indians. That I can honestly see is offensive. It was really goofy looking. Right. But now they replace it with a C. And I think that would be better. So here's the thing, Pete. You're a perfect person to answer this because are you part Apache or Comanche? <laughs> I am neither. Neither. Sorry. John Cleese speaks out about cancel culture and says it misunderstands the main purpose in life. Do we have that? I think that they misunderstand one of the main purposes of life, which is to have fun. What? Yeah, what's the big deal? How are you going to have fun if everyone's doing everything perfect? He, by the way, says Donald Trump is an example of having fun. He does whatever he wants at all times, always gets the news, always gets attention. Some drives a lot of you crazy. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.